A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. To Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And um, in just a few days, the um, Mir Yeshiva of Yerushalayim is going to have its virtual dinner this coming Monday um, at 7 p.m. So you'll all want to be there. Not uh, You'll all want to be there anyway because it's the Mir Yeshiva of Yerushalayim. But uh, the reason I'm mentioning it, aside from the, aside from the obvious, is also because I guess we could say it's kind of there's going to be like a uh, a debut of the Jewish history soundbites future documentary as uh, I have the privilege of uh, being able to give a virtual tour of the Mir Yeshiva in the Beis Yisrael neighborhood um, at the dinner and that should be very interesting and exciting um, so I hope you all enjoy that De- definitely you should uh, attend register at TheMere.Live, and uh, looking forward to uh, seeing you all there. Um, so before I get on to this episode, there's a couple of corrections from the Cincinnati, which drew a lot of feedback. I had a great uh, Cincinnati episode the other day. Um, first, is this was very important to a lot of people that Catfish Hunter was never on the Reds, so I apologize for that. It was on the A's, and then, of course, the Yankees. Um, the Ziv family is still a Cincinnati family, and they're a very proud and religious uh, family, descendants of this Frederick Ziv. Um, and then someone submitted a very important piece of uh, information of Cincinnati his- history, that Frank's Red Hot Sauce started in Cincinnati a hundred years ago exactly, and the fellow who started it had the incredibly ironic Jewish name of Jacob Frank, which, I don't know, there must be some symbolism of Jacob Frank starting Frank's Red Hot Sauce, and maybe Cincinnati has a role in not just the reform movement, but I guess some sort of reincarnation of Jacob Frank too. And uh, and this listener submitted that his Frank's Red Hot Sauce remains iconic at supermarket shelves everywhere, so that's an important part of Cincinnati history. We'll move on to tonight's episode. It is the Yom Yerushalayim um, tonight, so speak a little bit about last year. We gave one on Yom Yerushalayim, 
spoke about the Six Day War last year, and it connects actually to what I was just saying about the Mir uh, dinner and the virtual tour that I'll be giving. And I said a story on that virtual tour that I said on last year's episode about the Mir Shiva building during the Six Day War and the shell, the Jordanian shell hitting it. So um, you should listen to that episode again, and you should definitely come uh, to the virtual tour at the dinner. Another uh, last thing um, is important announcement is that finally the long-awaited website is up. My website uh, it just went up. We're live and we're celebrating um, by announcing it. Um, and the website you can find us at yehudageberer.com. That's Y-E-H-U-D-A-G-E-B-E-R-E-R.com. And um, check it out and, you know, spread the spread the spread it around we'll move on to finally to some content in today's episode and though last year we spoke about the six-day war and the mirror which was on the border and all that um this year i want to speak about actually the other side of the of uh, of the equation how it all began it was one of the ironies and i'm i'm really going to do my best not to sound cynical with this i just think it's an irony of history is that the loss of the old city of Yerushalayim in 1948 was, in retrospect, one of the best things that happened for, especially for, for Zionism, for the State of Israel. They did everything they could. The Haganah did everything they could in 1948 to keep it, to hold on to it. They fought a pretty vicious battle to try to hold on to it. Now, in retrospect, had they been successful, then the whole thing, the whole romanticism of of capturing the old uh, city in 1967, of Reb Shlomo Gorin blowing the shoifer, and of Matagur, the paratroop commander, which is in our audio intro of every episode of Jewish History Soundbites, and the of, of, of capturing Harabais and the old city, or some people might call it the liberation of the old city, the whole holiday of Yom Yerushalayim, and everything that goes along with it, yada, yada, yada. All that wouldn't have happened had they been successful in 1948 at keeping it. If they would have won the battle, that whole that whole subsequent event in 1967 would have never happened. So it was only because they lost in 1948. And then subsequently, 19 years, the city is divided, that the whole aura of 1967 was able to happen. And that's just something to think about. So how actually did it get lost in in the 48 war? And that's something we'll speak about uh, today. So I want to start off with a story. The backdrop is Yerushalayim, and the British are plan- are preparing to leave Yerushalayim. Um, and it's actually on the, one of the last days of British soldiers and troops in the old city. And the last column of British soldiers is marching out of the old city of Yerushalayim. And the elderly residents of the old city are watching them go. And if you think about it, these these Yidin, these Jews watching them go, they are just the next stage in the long chain of their ancestors that had seen many, many foreign soldiers walk out of the walls of Yerushalayim. Many empires had marched out of the walls of Yerushalayim over the last 2,000 years. And now the next stage is they're watching the next empire go. And the column of soldiers heads towards the exit of the old city. But before they do, they veer off to the side and they go into one of the courtyards and they knock on the door 
of Rabbi Mordechai Weingarten, who was later to play a role during the War of Independence and the surrender of the Old City. But he's the senior elder citizen rabbi at that point in the Old City. The British major knocks on his door, and when the rabbi opens the door and sees a whole column of British soldiers and this major there, he gets all nervous, and the major hands him this long, rusty iron key. And it's the key to the Shartzion, the Zion Gate, one of the seven gates of the old city. And the British soldier says to the rabbi, the elderly rabbi, since the year 70, the keys of this city have never been in Jewish hands. This is the first time in 18 centuries that you've been so privileged. And then he salutes the rabbi. He salutes him. And then he says, our relations have not always been easy, but let us part as friends. Good luck and goodbye. The rabbi then makes a shechianu. He makes the bracha shechianu. And then he says to the soldier, he says, I accept this key in the name of my people. And the major clicks and turns around, leads the soldiers out. As the soldiers are marching out of the city walls in a very symbolic way, the gunfire already is starting. Now, that's, that's, the, that's, that's a very, uh, you know, it's a story full of symbolism. But if we look at the larger context, um, we'll look from what happens from World War II till Israeli independence. So very often there's is a discussion. Jews like having the discussion. Um, it, it, it was the Holocaust a catalyst for the founding of State of Israel? Some say it caused the founding of the State of Israel. It was the guilt of the world or whatever it was. Some say that the Holocaust made it that despite the Holocaust, the State of Israel was founded, and there's a lot of debate around it, a lot of historical debate, sometimes emotional debate. But I want to speak about another point, not the Holocaust. World War II um, was a catalyst in creating the State of Israel. How was World War II that catalyst? Let's think about something else. The British Empire had a lot of other colonies and commonwealths and whatever it was that was part of the British Empire, and Israel, lo and behold, was not the only one that got its independence from the British during the years following World War II. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, India, the keystone of the British Empire for 300 years, gains independence shortly after World War II, before Palestine, before Israel does. Around the same time, um, South Africa, Egypt, um, Jordan, Iraq, even earlier. So... Palestine slash Israel is just one of many, many countries within the British Empire. They're the breakup, the decolonialism in the wake of World War II. And why does it happen? By the way, it happens in the French Empire. Also, a little later, you know, Vietnam in 1954 and Algeria is through the 1960s. That's a whole disaster in itself. But, um, but, uh, but it happens. The empire breaks up. So why does it break up? It's because the British are exhausted. World War II was horrible, uh, and uh, the British army is, is spent, they're exhausted, they lost a lot of men, the country is bankrupt, they cannot maintain an empire. And they weren't able to maintain it in India, and they weren't able to maintain it in Israel also. So World War II might have played a bigger role than any other factor. So the, the, um, as the British are planning to leave, so they, the strategy of both the Jews, the Haganah, and the Arabs are starting to crystallize. And part of the Arab strategy was to lay siege to Yerushalayim. So who's the Arabs? Are they a unified force from surrounding 
nations, Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, five nations. Um, it's definitely five nations, but it's not exactly five countries. Very few of those countries had independence. And they definitely were not unified, and that was eventually the cause of their downfall. Um, but it's also, besides for these neighboring countries, there's also local Arabs, local Palestinian Arabs, who live in the various villages and towns and cities even across the whole Israel. And they're also part of the fighting against um, against um, the the uh, Jewish uh, settlement in in Israel at the time. So there's really two two Arab forces going on, and and it's an important distinction. And and again, looking at the greater context, the post-colonialism, and uh, in the Arab world, the collapse of the French and British empires, the rise of Arab nationalism, which had really started at the end of World War One but it really rises in the interwar period, and especially after World War II, when nationalism was on the rise as a result of the decolonialism. Palestinian, Palestinian excuse me, nationalism is, is rising, and of course uh, there's the role of the, the, uh, the really evil person, the terrible person, the Khaj Amin al-Husseini, the uh, Mufti of Jerusalem, now, which is also another story. So Yerushalayim is under siege, and they block the roads. The highway 1, today, Kvish Echad, what the main highway to Yerushalayim is blocked. Latrun, which is right next to Beit Shemesh, where I live, was this fortress that was a British uh, prison, a police station, overlooking the highways, uh, is, is controlled by the Arabs. They make uh, several attempts, the Haganah make several attempts to take it. They're unsuccessful. They try to break the seeds in several places. There's an area near Telstone where they tried to, with today's Telstone, then it wasn't where they try to break the, this, the, 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 the block to Yerushalayim. But Yerushalayim is essentially under siege. There's about 100,000 Jews living in Yerushalayim at the time. There's a shortage of water. There's a food shortage. There's people literally starving. Uh, starvation, in the, in the most literal sense, that there's no food to eat. Water distribution, what I'm talking about, is, is lit, like, like, uh, like, like you can't believe it. There's there's rationed water. You go, you wait online, and you get a pail of water, and that's the amount of water that you have for all your needs, for cleaning, for for drinking, for everything. It's a terrible situation. I just saw recently a fascinating documentary on the neighborhood of Rechavia, which in general is interesting history. But one of the testimonies was describing the water distribution, how they had to wait online and. One of them had a sick neighbor, so they got an extra pail. They brought it back for her. And here, it's a close-knit community. Everyone's friends. And one of the other neighbors saw this fellow walk back into the neighborhood with two pails of water, and he started fighting over it. How dare you bring two pails? And he said, no, I'm bringing it for our sick neighbor. I'm not bringing it for myself. Oh, okay, that's fine. We have to understand how desperate the situation was and how... You know, it brings tension to, to the social fabric of just the regular people of Yerushalayim who are trying just to survive. Um, is a, like I said, a, a food shortage, a shortage of, of fuel, and for the fighters, a shortage of weapons. Um, it brings, the siege of Yerushalayim brings out all kinds of ramifications. The, 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 um, leaders of the Jewish agency, and later after the state is declared, the leaders of the state of Israel can't get together. Some of the signatories to the Declaration of Independence only sign 
much, much later, because when the, the independence is declared in Tel Aviv, some of them can't get out of Yerushalayim to be there. Um, and, and, and Lahavdil, the, the, uh, their Gedele Yisrael, great rabbis who are stuck under the siege in Yerushalayim, they can't get to, um, to other places. Um, for instance, one of the Rebbeim of, of Panovich Yeshiva, Rav Shmuel Rozovsky, was stuck in Yerushalayim during the siege. He wasn't able to give his shiur in Panovich during the time of the uh, War of Independence. In fact, there's a fascinating, a great book, uh, Tzvi Weinman wrote, I think it's only in Hebrew, Mekatovitz uh, Adhei from Katovitz, which is the founding of the Yodas Israel in 1912, until Hei meaning the founding of the State of Israel. It's about the history and, excuse me, the development of the Meatzis Gedele HaToyra of Yodas Israel. He describes how during the crucial days of when the state was founded, when the, when, when in theory, the Mayetzis Gedele HaToyra of Agudis Yisrael is supposed to formulate a position about what their relationship is going to be vis-a-vis the state. Um, what, will they support it? Should they support the Declaration of Independence? What are they going to do about elections? A lot of crucial decisions need to be made, and yet they can't be made because the Mayetzis Gedele HaToyra can't meet because half of them are in Tel Aviv and half of them are in Yerushalayim, and they simply can't, there's no communication, and that eventually, in his claim, has major, major ramifications uh, down the line. One of the ways that they try to break the siege is by building a road back, also passes right by where I live in Beit Shemesh, a dirt road, a bumpy road that only jeeps were able to go over, and they nicknamed it the Burma Road. Again, you have to think in the context of World War II. World War II had just ended three years before, and the U.S. Army had brought military supplies to Xi'an Kai-shek's and, 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 and Joe Stilwell's uh, armies in China. They had done it through the mountains, through the jungles of Burma, and it was the Burma Road. You know, Navy Seabees had built it and engineers, and it was a major success, a major engineering feat of World War II. And here the Haganah was able to build this miniature of that uh, to break the siege to Shalayim and bring supplies, bring food. It was really just to be desperately needed things. It wasn't um, or anything beyond that. Um, so so that, that, that is able to alleviate it, but very, to very limited extent. Um, other things that happened at the time is, is um, in the months leading up to the British leaving, you have a lot of the tension of... Um, of uh, of the that begins to develop and really explode between the Arabs and the Jews. You have the Irgun uh, massacre, really, at Deir Yassin um, on the outskirts of Yerushalayim, which today is the uh, neighborhood of Harnof um, and the outskirts of Yerushalayim. So when they talked about uh, recently about changing the name of Harnof to name it after Bovadi Yosef, I commented that it's not the first time that it experiences a name change. It really had a name change originally when it was called Deir Yassin. And, and that takes place on April 9th. Now we know the British didn't leave until May 14th. So you know, the British are still around when Deir Yassin happens. And the same thing with the Kfar Etzion. The Arabs uh, um, uh, lay siege to the settlements of Kfar Etzion, Kibbutzim. There's, again, a slaughter, a, a a massacre. Um, so it goes both ways, these things. There's the famous story of the Lamed Hay, the 35 fighters who are dispatched by the Haganah to uh, Kfar Etzion uh, to, alle- to relieve them. They came with weapons, they came with manpower on January 16th. Again, 
four months, five months before the British leave. The British are still around when the Lamadhe set out from Yerushalayim to Kfar Etzion, and they are massacred. There's not a single survivor of the 35 fighters, and it happens literally less than three minutes from my home in Beit Shemesh. There's a memorial to them. I was just brought my kids there recently um, to the Lamadhe fighters of the Haganah who came to try with a lot of self-sacrifice to try to relieve uh, the settlements of Kfar Etzion, which eventually fell. So we moved to the battle, and again, uh, uh, besides for the massacres on both sides, which is tragic, uh, the, uh, the, the important point here is that the British hadn't left yet, and, and this happens all under the noses of the British. So there's what to say about that as well. Um, so we, we come to the Battle of Yerushalayim itself. You have the two, uh, the two commanders. Uh, uh, the Jewish commander, the Haganah commander of Yerushalayim is... David Shaltiel, who's a Yeki, a German Jew. Um, he was arrested by the Gestapo during the 1930s. He was a, a, a very impressive individual. And he's, he's the, the uh, Haganah commander. And he's facing a young guy, Abdullah Tell. Tal. Tal. I'm not sure I pronounced that. Who's a very interesting character. He came from a wealthy Arab family. He was an officer in the British Army during World War II. He was very educated. He actually loved history. Um, some hated him, um, said he was brutal. You know, he was involved in the blowing up of the uh, Jewish shuls as a, uh, in, the, the, in the Jewish quarter, the Churva shul, the Tzfaris Yisrael shul, um, in the Jewish quarter to obliterate any memory of, of uh, Jewish presence in the Jewish quarter of the old city of Yerushalayim. Um, others were more positive. Uh, they said he protected the civilians at the end of the battle, let them out free, helped them provided for them more of a Mordechai Weingarten that I mentioned earlier was actually the civilian negotiator, and he dealt with him directly at the end of the battle and uh, seemed to have uh, less of a negative image of him. Another someone, another one who was impressed with him, ironically, was Moshe Dayan. Moshe Dayan was not impressed with a lot of people. He was a, quite a critical individual. And he said that uh, Tal hated the British. He felt that the British were a problem in Jordan as well. Um, he was a professional soldier. He had a good bearing. Uh, so that was that was Dayan's impression of him. In fact, Dayan sat opposite of him at the table when when the battle is finally over and the UN imposes the armistice on the ceasefire. Not really an armistice, the ceasefire on both sides. And the ones who sign it are Dayan and Abdullah Tal on the island of Rhodes. There's famous pictures of it. And the two of them are sitting across from each other, and they're literally drawing the lines on the map, dividing Yerushalayim, dividing Israel. And so legend has it, who knows if it's true, the only color pen that Dayan had was green ink. And therefore, when he drew on the map, it was a green line, and thus comes the name, the green line, till today. Now, the soldiers on both sides is another interesting uh, fact. Most of the soldiers, especially in Yerushalayim battle, was Jordanian. It was the Arab Legion of Jordan, King Abdullah, so it was British. So many of them were British trained, but there were some Arab soldiers who had been trained in SS brigades. There were Arab volunteers in the SS that Haj Amin al-Husseini had actually organized and they trained in Yugoslavia. So you're talking about they had that, 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 that background to them whereas uh, Jews had been trained, again, mainly by the British, the British Army, some by the French, as in the case of Shaltiel himself, and there were even a handful of American uh, veterans, American Jewish veterans of World War II, who volunteered to, uh, to uh, serve. I think I spoke about that in another uh, podcast once. 
So Alan Cunningham, who's the last High Commissioner of, uh, of the British Mandate in Palestine, he was a World War II hero in North Africa along with Montgomery, but he was less of a hero and less successful as the last High Commissioner. So we're in the old city of Yerushalayim. There's 200 fighters. That's all that the Haganah had defending the old city. They surrender on May 28th. Abdullah Tal leads 1,300 mostly religious yeshiva guys, rabbis, families, children, women, elderly, leads them into captivity. He takes adult men and brings them to prisoner of war camps. He releases women, the elderly, the sick, the children free. Many of them settled down in Katamon, which until then had been a wealthy upper-class Arab neighborhood, and the Arabs had all fled and uh, or were chased out. Again, depends who you ask. And uh, and these homes are all empty. And now these Yerushalmis from the old city move into Katamon, into Arab homes, into this former Arab neighborhood. And that also is part of the story. Weingarten actually was very critical of the Haganah's actions during the battle. He said they held on too long. They would put civilian life in danger. Um, but now they're they're in they're in a prisoner of war camp. And the story of religious elderly old city residents in Jordanian captivity for months is a great story. It's an important story, and it's usually overlooked, um, but that also we'll say for another time. So what happens is, is that ultimately Yerushalayim becomes divided for the next 19 years. We spoke about how the Mir Yeshiva was on the border right near the Mandelbaum Gate, which was the only entrance from the two, for the two sides of Yerushalayim. There's no, the whole area, all the neighborhoods of uh, east of eastern Yerushalayim, Ramat Shlomo, um, Arze Habira, Ramat Eshkol. Can you imagine that there was no Rehov Paran? I lived on Paran for five years, and for the American uh, Jewish community to not have Rehov Paran and coffee and everything for 19 years, it must have been an amazing tragedy. And um, in fact, the whole no man's land area, the whole city is divided by barbed wire, the whole no man's land area is an empty area in between this barbed wire, and because that there's a lot of empty space there, so the children, both Arab children on the Jordanian part of the city and Jewish children on the Israeli part of the city would play soccer near the fences. And when the there's pictures of it, and there's thousands, literally, of soccer balls accumulated over the 19 years in between the place of barbed wire where there was no way to retrieve your ball if you kicked it too high, and that's it, it was lost. So be careful of your soccer ball. Now, again, this is, the Mandelbaum Gate is right outside Mayish Army. You have to understand how close it is. Today, where the Mamila Mall is, was a street. It was Mamila Street, Rehov Mamila. I once took a taxi, and the taxi driver told me he grew up on Rehov Mamila, and his house was so close to the Jordanian border that he remembers when he would go out to school, he would have to sometimes dodge sniper bullets from the Jordanian snipers who would cruelly shoot at Jewish children um, you know, at random sometimes. Now again, this is the Cold War. This is a time when Berlin is divided by the Berlin Wall. There's a lot of symbolism here. Berlin is divided because of the Cold War. And here, the holy city of Yerushalayim is divided in a very different way, in a very harsh way, with, you know, in a very tragic, a sad way, there's barbed wire across dividing this ancient and wonderful and beautiful city until uh, 19 years later when the Six-Day War comes and, uh, and Yerushalayim becomes uh, reunified. So this was Yehuda Geber uh, with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me, 
new email address because of the new website, which you're going to check out. So there's now, from now on, it's not going to be my personal email address. We have a new professional email address. It's Yehuda at YehudaGeberer.com uh, for questions, comments, sources, tours and trips to places of interest of Jewish history. You could subscribe now to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites and check out the website YehudaGeberer.com um, and, um, and we'll see you at the Mir Dinner on Monday. And I hope you enjoyed.